Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. So we've been uh, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We've actually been talking about the gifts that God gives to the church. And the whole Trinity is actually involved in giving gifts to the church. There are gifts given from the Father, gifts given from the Son, and gifts given from the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those are given to us in 1 Corinthians 12. This has been for me and for our entire church a really fruitful conversation. I've really, I, I really have enjoyed this time. It's kind of a shame. It feels like we could spend a whole Sunday just talking about one of these gifts. And I know last week we had to talk about 12 of them. Uh, so I hope that it's providing for you an overview of these gifts. But there's definitely more to be had. Um, this is not all that the Bible has to say about these gifts. And so I'd encourage you, if you feel like God's highlighting some of the gifts and speaking to you and saying that I've given these gifts to you, I'd encourage you to search out what the scripture says about these gifts and find people who you know operate in these gifts and ask them about what it's like to walk this out and um, ask them about how they've overcome their weaknesses and matured in the gifts that God's given So the book of 1 Corinthians, if you're there, is a letter that Paul sent to a church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians is actually not 1 Corinthians at all. It's probably 2 Corinthians because Paul was actually sent a letter. And so this letter that we have is 1 Corinthians is a response to that letter. Um, Paul's responding to a letter that was sent to him. What's unfortunate is that we only have half the conversation. We don't know what they were asking. We don't actually know what the problems were in Corinth. We can guess because we can hear half the conversation. Just like if you were to hear half a conversation, you could probably have a good idea of what they're talking about. So we have half the conversation from Paul Um, This is a response to a church that reached out to him for help. Um, Most scholars agree that the problem that Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is an abuse of the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues was being abused. And we'll, 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 um, we'll see how Paul addresses this. He addresses it in a really interesting way. So he starts by saying this to the Corinthians, starting in verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. As we've talked about in the last couple weeks, this seems to be what we are concerning the spiritual gifts. It's It's just where we're at. And part of that is because our churches haven't done a good job of talking about them. Um, And part of that is because some people have done a good job of abusing them. So we're kind of unclear. And because the thing has been abused, most of us have just dismissed it. Um, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking... By the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Paul starts, he he really begins correcting their ignorance by reminding them of something that they fully understand, which is being pagans. You don't know about the gifts, but you do know about being pagans. You do know about worshiping, uh, what, what does he say here, mute idols. You're unaware concerning the gifts 
but you're totally aware of how to be an idiot. You know this. You know this, church. Unite. And I thought it was really interesting as I read this because Paul, he, he, um, He unites the church by reminding them of their common experience of salvation. Everybody here has had a a different experience with the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul, in trying to bring unity to the church in Corinth, reminds them of their common experience of the Holy Spirit when they were converted or saved. We share together here as Christians a common experience. We've been converted, we've been saved, we've been born again, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This per, this first, uh, these first three passages, this first paragraph, I think is a really important word for the church. Because the presence of the Spirit of God makes it easy for people to think that the power and the gifts are the real evidence of God's Spirit. Well, the real evidence of God's Spirit is that these gifts are in operation. But Paul here disagrees. And he says that the ultimate sign of the Spirit's activity is that Jesus Christ is exalted as Lord. He lifts up Jesus Christ as Lord and said this is the ultimate sign of the Spirit's activity. The exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Have you ever noticed this? That I feel like sometimes in working with people uh, and in living out my life, I think often we want a Savior, and rarely do we want a Lord. I often want to be bailed out. God, I've screwed up again. We often need a Savior, and we often don't want a Lord. We often want to be bailed out. We don't often want to submit our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We often want an experience, but we don't want a Lord. We often want an encounter, but we don't want a Lord. So the ultimate sign of the Spirit's work in your life is that Jesus Christ is lifted up as Lord. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Even very um, legit expressions or manifestations of the Spirit can sometimes distract from Jesus. Apparently, here, the Corinthians had an idea of what it meant to be spiritual. And Paul had a different idea of what it meant to be spiritual. Let's read on. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Paul starts his conversation with the Corinthians about the gifts and about the Spirit by putting it in its ultimate theological context. Which is this, diversity within unity belongs to the character of God. Diversity within unity, which is what he's going to call the Corinthians church to, it belongs to the very nature and character of God. We know that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there is um, within God both unity and diversity. And he's calling his church to be a reflection of that. He wants unity in this church. And the only way we can have unity, real unity, is to have diversity. He writes, there is one spirit, there is one Lord, 
There is one God, but there's a great variety of gifts. There's a great variety of gifts. There's a great variety of ministries. And they characterize each member of the Trinity. So he starts by saying to this group, look to God. Look to God. He then um, zeroes in on the specific problem in Corinth. And he starts emphasizing the need for a wide variety of manifestations of the one spirit within the church. No one gifting being better than another. We need all of these gifts. This is the point. This is the big point. Paul didn't write these chapters, Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, to inform us as to the nature. And it's not a systematic list of the gifts. What he's trying to say here is that there are many different gifts. But we're to operate as one body. There is to be, to be diversity in the church and unity. We are to be united. Last week we talked about the design gifts in Romans 12. Um, if you remember, these were the gifts of the Father. These were the motivational gifts. Uh, pop quiz, can anyone remember or can we together come up with all seven of these? Go ahead and shout it out. All seven, sweet. No one of these is better than another, and we need all of these things in the church. I read this last week, and I thought it was interesting, because the, the seven gifts were the perceiver or the prophet. I'd go ahead and use the word perceiver, because prophet's so loaded. There's the perceiver, the server, the teacher, the exhorter, the giver, the leader, and the mercy person, or the mercenary, the mercy person. So you're at a dinner party, the hostess walks in to serve you and these six other design gifts. You're at a dinner party, a hostess walks in to serve dessert to all seven of these gifts. While she walks in, she slips drops the dessert. The perceiver or prophet says this, that's what happens when you're not careful. Their motivation is to correct right and wrong. The server says this, let me clean it up. Their motivation is to render practical, helpful service. The teacher says the reason that you dropped the dessert is because it was too heavy on one side. Their motivation is to discover and research what happened. The exhorter says this, hey, next time, let's just serve dessert with the meal. The motivation is um, to find success by correcting a future failure. The giver says, I'll buy another dessert. The motivation is to give to a tangible need. The leader says, Jim, you get the mop. Sue, you pick up the tray. Mary, you can fix a new dessert. The the motivation is for efficiency and for organization. The mercy person says this, Don't feel bad. It could happen to any of us. We all drop desserts. The motivation is to empathize and to be aware of their feelings. So no one of these responses is altogether complete. And as a church, what Paul's trying to say here is that we need every one of these responses. Every one of these responses is true. None of these responses is complete. We need all of these things. 
Everything in this paragraph that we just read revolves around the first sentence. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Diversities of gifts there are, but the same Spirit. Diversities of service there are, but the same Lord. Diversities of workings there are. That's a very Yoda way to say something. Let me try that again. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Diversities of service, but the same Lord. There's diversity, but there's unity. There's diversity, but there's unity. It's the theme of three chapters in Corinthians. There's diversity and there's unity. The increased diversity brings about an increased need for unity. We can't have unity until we have diversity. Uniformity is not unity. The Corinthians seem to think that what is really spiritual is uniformity. And Paul is pounding this over and over again. Uniformity is not what it means to be spiritual. Unity is what it means to be spiritually mature. Who works all things and all people. Diversity. Unity. This belongs to the character of God. This is how He rolls. So this is how the church should roll. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good or the profit of all so why has God given these gifts so that you can self-actualize nope so that you can feel better about yourself nope so that you can find out what you're not good at and use it as an excuse to not do it no We have to serve outside of our gifting. Because the purpose of the gifts is to serve and edify the church. And I think sometimes we want to take these tests just so we could go, I knew it. I knew I didn't have the gift of tongues. I never wanted the gift of tongues. I think everybody with the gift of tongues is crazy. And that I don't want it. So we take these tests trying to figure out what we don't want to do. We have to serve outside of our gifting, guys. I think there will be primary motivational gifts, but we have to serve outside of our giftings. Moms, you're not allowed to say to your kids when they say, Mom, can I get something to, will you make me something to eat? I'm sorry, I don't have the gift of hospitality. You're going you're gonna to have to go hungry today. I'm sorry. Mom, Mom, will you teach me about Jesus? I'm sorry. I don't have the gift of teaching. I'm sure at some point you'll find someone who does. No, of course not. I'm sorry, son. I can't provide for you a warm home to grow up in. I don't have the gift of hospitality. No way. Someone comes to you and says, you know, they're they're convicted. They're like, what do I do to get saved? Find an evangelist because I don't have that gift. The, the point that I want to make uh, here is that God doesn't call the gifted. He gifts the called. If he's called you to do something, he's going to give you the gifts that you need to pull it off. He's not up there going, wow, this person is so good at this, that, and the other. I think I'll call them. They've got a good resume. Wow, incredible experience. I know, I'll call the gifted. No, he calls and he gifts the called. If God's called you to something as a parent or as a leader or a pastor or as a shepherd or as someone who has influence or is administrating, if he's called you to that, he's going to gift you for what he's called you to do. Um... Which leads me to bring a, a, a brief definition to this word gifts. 
Because I think if we understand this word, we'll understand what Paul's trying to communicate here. This word gifts is the word charismata. And an understanding of this word helps us understand how these gifts were designed to operate. And this word uh, has a, a suffix to it. And the end of this word communicates movement. The beginning of this word communicates grace. The end of this word communicates movement. So the best way to define this word, charismata, is movements of grace. Think about how this may revolutionize our idea of the gifts if we know that this is a movement of God's grace. John Wimber used to call the gifts listed here in Corinthians 12 that we'll get to um, the dancing hand of God. That the hand of God can actually do any one of these things in our lives at any time. No longer do, would, to understand it as a movement of God's grace we would no longer be thinking about, well, what gifts do we have and what gifts do we don't have? But instead, we would be open to be channels of God's grace as opposed to possessors of a gift. Open as a channel of God's grace. By the way, just really quickly... Grace is not licensed to sit back. Grace enables us to do what we cannot do. Grace is not permission to go, to, 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 to forfeit and say, well, I guess I don't have that gift. God's grace enables us to do what we cannot do. And you cannot do most of the gifts on this list. That's why it takes God's grace to do these things. Let's read on. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge. Again, notice, this, the point of this is not that he would give us some systematic list of every gift. He's not even talking about the nature of these gifts. What he's talking about is diversity and unity. The emphasis is, isn't even on the gift itself, but he's at the end of every sentence saying it's the same Spirit. The same Spirit gives these things. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are at work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Diversity within unity. Paul does provide us here with a pretty sizable list of some of the gifts that the Spirit gives to the church. Paul's concern is not the nature or the meaning of these gifts, but it can be the concern of ours. So I want to talk about these nine gifts that he lists here and try to bring, a, again, just an overview a short definition to each of these gifts so that you have a better understanding of what this looks like and how it operates in the church. Forgive me, I'd love to be more thorough than this. There's a lot more, like I said, a single Sunday should be, I mean, maybe a month should be spent talking about prophecy. There's a lot to talk about. Um, And it kills me to stand up here and know... um, that in some ways what I'm giving you is very incomplete. But it would kill you to be here till three. You would die. (laughs) 
So it is our concern this morning. The message of wisdom or the word of wisdom. You can take notes on the back of your bulletin. We're going to move quickly through this. This means that the Spirit gives messages that are full of wisdom or characterized by wisdom. People who exercise this gift know how to apply God-given knowledge to specific situations. The Spirit not only shows them what to do, He also shows them how to do it, and He also shows these people why we're doing it. They apply the principles of God's Word to the practical matters of life. The message of knowledge or the word of knowledge. Is that somebody? The message of knowledge or the word of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is the special ability that God gives to analyze, accumulate, and clarify information and ideas. Two? Nice. The message of knowledge is the ability that God gives to analyze, accumulate, and clarify information and ideas. It's an ability to research, remember, and make effective use of information. These people love to study and compile their findings so that other people can benefit from their long hours of research. People that, are, that have this gift, they're, they're loving God with their whole mind. The gift can manifest itself in inspired teaching um, and receiving insight into the meaning of Scripture. Now, I did a lot of reading about these two in particular Because as someone who's grown up in a charismatic church, I've had a different definition of the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom. But that stance is losing ground, not just in more conservative circles, but even from people like C. Peter Wagner um, and Gordon Fee, who is a, a scholar in the Assemblies of God Church. And there's reasons for that, but I can't get into that. But I will touch on it and say this, Pentecostals have often thought that the word of knowledge was downloaded factual information about someone that could not have otherwise been known without the Spirit's aid. Uh, In regards to this, uh, C. Peter Wagner says that that's actually not the gift of knowledge. That's just a subset of the gift of prophecy. He writes, I feel that what the charismatics call the word of knowledge is really a subset of the gift of prophecy, not the gift of knowledge. So we can talk more about it if you've grown up in a tradition um, where the word of knowledge has been downloaded facts about someone that you would only know based on the Spirit's aid. I believe that is legit. I believe that is real. But I actually believe that that's the gift of prophecy. Because why, if Paul's arguing for diversity, would he put these three or four together that are essentially the same thing? So that's basically the argument. There's probably four people who care, but Uh, faith. So again, to say, I think that's totally legit. What we call as Pentecostals reading someone's mail or someone getting a word and saying, you know, you're going through this and you did this and you should repent or or whatever it is. I, I believe that's legit. I'm not denouncing that. I just don't believe that to be the gift of knowledge. I believe that to be prophecy, foretelling prophecy or Anyways, ugh. the gift of faith is, to in, is the ability to envision what God wants to do and then trust Him to do it. Even though it seems impossible. Those with the gift of faith, they trust God in difficult situations. They stand strong when others are ready to give up. It's a God-given ability to believe what you don't actually believe. No, it is. There's a surge of confidence that comes up. 
And you may be in your mind going, I don't even actually believe this, but I am so sure that God is going to act and speak right now. And it's a God-given ability, the gift of faith. It's a certainty. It's a surge of confidence that comes over us to know that God is going to speak and God is going to act. Gifts of healings. The language here is really important. Hear it again. Gifts of healings. The fact The fact that both words are plural suggests two things. The first is that gifts of healings are not given to the person who is healed, but given to the person who God is going to use to heal someone. So the gift of healing is not given to you when you're sick. The gift of healings is given to somebody who is going to pray for you and God is going to use to restore you. How many here have had God heal them in a miraculous way? Don't make it up. Awesome. Gifts and healings um, suggest that this isn't a permanent gift, but each occurrence of it is a gift in, it, in itself. Paul uh, didn't think that someone would be given the gift of healing that would operate for all time and for every situation over every disease. This is one of the common misconceptions about this gift. The gifts of healing. The misconception is that if anyone could ever heal, then they can always heal because they have the gift of healing. Paul didn't have that in mind when he wrote the words gifts of healings. A person may be gifted to heal many people, but not all people. And likewise, someone can be gifted to heal one person in one specific situation of one disease. Gifts of healing are therefore occasional and subject to the purposes of God. Miraculous powers is the ability to call on God to do supernatural acts that reveal His power. Most likely healing would be a part of this, but there are other things and other ways that we can call on God to do miraculous acts. This manifestation um, covers activities beyond healing the sick. These people expect God to show up in extraordinary ways. Have you ever been with somebody like this who maybe has this gift? They're just kind of expecting that God's going to change the situation. My mom's a little bit like that. We'd like lose pins in junior high or something, you know, and she'd be like, God, we just pray that you would show us where that pin's at, you know. And there was like this expectation that God was going to do an extraordinary thing, even even in a very ordinary situation. People who have this gift are, are constantly going, God... Wants to do something here. God wants to show up here. Um, God cares about what's going on here. Uh, Casting out demons. Raising the dead. Calling nature to submit to God's authority. These are actually all things that I've not seen. But I've I've actually hung out with people who have. Uh, No, seriously. Nate and I met a guy in Nepal who was dead for 45 minutes. And was raised from the dead. And we kept asking him to tell the story over and over again because it was an incredible story. He was an old dude, uh, church planner in Nepal, and he was dead for 45 minutes and his kids were praying that God would raise him from the dead. 45 minutes later, he came back. And we kept asking, oh, tell that story about being dead. Tell, <laughs> tell that story about when you died, you know. Because there was some really cool stuff that God uh, revealed to him about heaven and, and his time and of course, he was just looking at us like, what are you, aren't you kids Christians? Like, don't you believe in heaven? Don't you believe that God raises the dead? And we're like, no, we just have pizza parties. Tell us that story. <laughs> Tell us about how you died, dude. <laughs> we just watch McGee and me. I've never heard anything like this before. 
The people with this gift, they expect signs and wonders to follow the people who follow Jesus. Which is one of the things that Jesus said. Discerning of spirits. The ability to discern what is truly of the Spirit of God and what comes from other spirits. People with this gift know whether something is God, the devil, or a person. When the Spirit gives this gift, you're aware of the reality of the spiritual realm. You can also, someone that operates in this gift, can also discern and properly judge prophecy in order to see if it is in fact what God is saying. They'll just kind of know. Not because they've processed it here, but they have a gift that God's given them, an ability to go, no, that's not what God's saying. Scripture tells us to test things and test people. And people who operate in this gift can serve the church. Satan, we know, disguises himself, Scripture tells us, as an angel of light. And he also empowers counterfeit miracles. Just because it's a miracle doesn't mean it's from God. He also fuels false teachers and false prophets. Just because someone's teaching up here doesn't mean it's from God. Just because someone prophesies doesn't mean it's from God. We need these people in the church. Nah, I don't think so. Or, part of that was God and part of it wasn't. And I'll tell you what part. It was the back half. That was God and that was pizza. That guy hit it and then lost it. People with this gift know right away. And I'd encourage you, there's probably more of you that have this gift than than you know. And maybe it hasn't shown up in a corporate setting, but you just have uh, an instinct about people that is typically correct. Prophecy. The special ability that God gives certain members of the body to receive and communicate an immediate message to His people. The special ability that God gives certain members of the body... To receive and communicate an immediate message from God to His people. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. God reveals something to the mind of a prophet that is not found in Scripture, but it's never contrary to Scripture. Although prophecy is rooted in revelation from God, it sometimes contains errors. Which leads us to ask a huge question. How could a God who is true say something that is false? And the answer to that question is very simple. He doesn't. He cannot. He cannot. The key is to realize that there are four elements to prophecy. And God's only responsible for one. We have a part in the other three. The first is the revelation itself. That's God's part. He speaks and gives revelation. But then the second step is our reception of that revelation. We then have to receive what God has spoken. And how many how many know sometimes we, we hear what we want to hear? And maybe we're not quite the effective listener that we thought we were. The third is that there is an interpretation of what has been disclosed or the attempt to figure out what it means. And then last, there's an application of that interpretation. So the four steps inside of prophecy is revelation from God. There's reception. There is interpretation. And then there is application of that. So what I'm trying to communicate to you is that there's a lot that we can screw up in this process and do. But that doesn't mean that we chuck the gift of prophecy because of it. 
Paul says regarding the gifts that we see in a mirror dimly. He has an expectation that it wouldn't be 100%. We know this, we know this because when people exercise the, the gift of teaching, it's the same way. We start with divine revelation. I start here, or should, I start here every week. And from there, this is divine revelation from God. The parable tells us that it's a perfect seed. But I can misapply and I can misinterpret what it says, and I do often probably. But that doesn't mean we dispose the gift of teaching. And the same with prophecy. God brings divine revelation. We can misapply and misinterpret that revelation, but that doesn't mean that we get rid of it. That means that we test things. God's given you the Holy Spirit so that you can discern. Just because I'm up here teaching it doesn't mean it's right. Search it out. The gift of uh, tongues. There are three different kinds of tongues, or three different expressions of the gift of tongues. And I find that most of the confusion surrounding the gift of tongues comes because people fail to differentiate between the three ways that tongues appears in Scripture. The first way that it appears is in a private prayer language. Scripture tells us that speaking in tongues is speaking to God. Paul speaks of this in Corinthians 14 when he says, I pray in a tongue. It's a devotional use of tongues that aids personal prayer. This tongue is unknown to the person speaking it and would be unknown to anyone who heard it. They aren't speaking in a known language. They're speaking a language that's not known by them or by anyone who would hear it. Scripture calls this uh, angelic tongues. Paul says that you actually edify yourself by speaking and using tongues like this. You may wonder why something that you can't understand could edify you. How could something that I don't know edify or build you up? Paul seems to believe that there is a connection and a communion with God that bypasses the mind. This scripture in Romans, I think, sheds a lot of light on the devotional use of the gift of tongues. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. A lot of people that I know who use the gift of tongues pray in tongues when they don't know what to pray. They feel weak. They don't know what's going on. They're confused. And they're hoping that God does, so they begin to speak to God, hoping that God knows what, in fact, they're saying. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I don't know about you guys, but I run out of stuff to... <laughs> it's tough to pray. I, I go down the list pretty quick and run out of stuff pretty fast at times. I'm not actually at times very aware of what's going on inside of me. So people use the gift of tongues like this. You've maybe experienced this and been confused by it. Like when someone by next to you, you're worshiping, and you overhear them speaking in tongues. And you're thinking to yourself, why are they speaking audibly in tongues? No one can understand what they're saying. Or maybe someone's come up to pray for you and they've laid their hand on your shoulder and they start begin to speak in tongues. Well, just know that they're actually not speaking to you. They're operating, they're speaking to God in a way of what I would call priming the pump. 
For those of you who do speak in tongues and then lay hands on people speaking in tongues, before you do, please just explain to them that you're not speaking to them in tongues. And say, I pray to God in a language, so know that I'm not saying, trying to say something to you uh, right now. You know? It would really help clarify things, because that, that's a weird experience when someone's going to pray for you and they start speaking in tongues. Not a bad thing, just be normal about it. God will be super and you be natural. And we will have supernatural activity. The second use of tongues is the missionary function. This was given to the church on the day of Pentecost and members were empowered to speak praises to God in languages they did not understand but others did. They actually spoke known languages. This still happens today. People can actually speak a foreign language by God's Spirit. Let me read you this story because it's incredible. While we like to have things neatly organized, we know of at least one case where someone used tongues as he would in private prayer only to discover that it was having a powerful missionary effect. Rob is an elder of his local Lutheran church and a volunteer at the critical care family waiting room at the local hospital. A family from the Middle East was gathered to be with their mother who was dying. They asked for a visit from the local chaplain But when the female chaplain arrived, the family asked to see someone else. Rob, who was nearby, saw what was going on and offered to pray for them. Rob is a charismatic Lutheran, like Pastor Mike, who makes liberal use of the gift of tongues, like Pastor Mike. So when he came to this rather intimidating situation, that's why he doesn't work at the Lutheran church and he works at Radiant Church, not knowing how to pray... He began, as he often did, by praying quietly, although audibly, in tongues. As he prayed, the patient mumbled her own prayer in her native language. When Rob was finished praying, one of the family members asked him where he learned to speak Farsi. The conversation went something like this. I don't speak Farsi, Rob told them. But you were just praying with our mother... In her language, a family member replied. What was I saying, Rob asked. (laughs) You were saying that my mother... You were saying that my mother still had time to accept Jesus and that he was willing to accept her. I did? Yeah, and that's what my mother was doing when she prayed. Of course, everyone was stunned, Rob no less than the family. They asked him to speak to them further about Jesus. When he gave a simple outline of the gospel, three other family members joined him in praying. So there's a missionary function of the gift of tongues. There's also a message in tongues. This is when someone begins to speak in tongues publicly as a form of spirit-inspired prayer or praise to God. The language, again, is unknown to the speaker and unknown to the church. Paul writes that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speaks to God. Paul knows That in order to edify the church, the word in tongues needs to be understood. If the purpose of the the gifts is to build up the church, then what's being said needs to be understood. It needs to be intelligible, Paul argues. This is for the sake of believers since only what we understand can build us up 
and for the sake of non-believers, since only what we can understand can lead to their conversion, argues Paul. Which leads us to the last gift, the interpretation of tongues. This person, given this gift, can articulate what the tongue speaker has said for the benefit of the whole community. The Bible is clear that when someone speaks in a tongue, that they're speaking to God. They were heard praising God, exalting God, speaking to God. So the interpreter should often be interpreting words that are spoken to God. He's putting into words, putting into language, words spoken to God. Paul here makes a clear line between um, prophecy and tongues. Tongues are words spoken to God. Prophecy are words spoken from God to us. So often these things are together. You'll find in the book of Acts that they stumble across people who have been filled with the Spirit and are speaking in tongues and prophesying. So these things do come together. But typically, when somebody's word of tongues is translated or interpreted, it should be putting into words praises spoken to God, not putting into words God's word to us. That's prophecy. And they do go together. And let me just say this about the word of interpretation. It's not the person who speaks in tongues' job to interpret. So they have a responsibility to give what God's stirring in their heart. And someone else has the responsibility to interpret. I think sometimes people panic when they hear a word and there's no interpretation of that word. But know that that person is giving what God's given them to give. And there's probably someone else in the church that's called to interpret what's being said so that the body can be edified. Guidelines for these gifts inside of Radiant. Really quickly. We will establish the same criteria for operating in the gift of prophecy and operating in the gift of tongues that we establish for those who are teaching, leading worship, serving on a ministry team, or I'm trying to think of some other form of leadership. Yeah, anyways, the same criteria is so for those who are going to give public words of prophecy, or corporate words in tongues. We would never let someone teach here who we didn't know. We would probably never let someone teach here who we didn't recognize a gift in. We would never let someone worship here, lead the worship here, that we didn't know. That we hadn't, that someone that we hadn't spent time with and, and seen their gift and worshiped with them. We would never let someone serve on a ministry team here who we don't know and who we don't recognize a gifting in. If you are here, let me read what I wrote so I can thread the needle on this one. In the same way, we would ask. That only those who are known amongst us would prophesy and give corporate words in tongues. If you're going to give direction and instruction to our church, if you're going to operate in this gift, we would ask that you would be known. If you're here and you're new and God begins to stir on your heart and speak to you about this church, consider writing it down and submitting it to the pastors so we can follow up with you, get a chance to know you, and see your gifting in action. If you're here, and you're known by the community here, and God begins to give you a word of prophecy for our church, or a, or a corporate word in tongues... We ask that you would come share what God is doing with one of the pastors, someone on point, who will be sitting right there from here on out. This front corner seat will be a pastor who is on point, who is expecting to be interrupted. They're expecting that God would be moving. So if you're known here, 
and God begins to move on your heart and you feel like God is speaking something to you, come share what God is speaking to you with a person who's going to be operating on point overseeing the service. This person who's sitting there will either be myself, Mike, Eric, Tiffany, Tim, June, or Sean. It'll be one of, the, one of the pastors, one of the leaders here at Radiant. This pastor, this leader will know everything that we're trying to do that morning. And they'll also have an idea of what's about to be preached on. They'll have a good idea because they're overseers that God's put in place of what God's doing. And they'll know where this fits, if it fits at all. So I would encourage you to come and submit what God's speaking to you to a pastor on point if you're going to share it publicly. Which leads me to my third point. Small groups, home groups, prayer groups are the best place to cut your teeth in these spiritual gifts. This is not the place to learn how to prophesy. It really isn't. And man, it's going on. I can't believe what's happening in the growth groups. I can't believe what's happening in the home groups. People are hearing from God. People are communicating what God's speaking to them. There's, um, people are being developed and they're, they're cultivating their gifting in a context other than Sunday morning. Just like this wouldn't be the place to cut your teeth in teaching for anyone, anyone but myself. Or just like this wouldn't be the place to cut your teeth in leading worship. This isn't the best place to work out your gifting. Now, in order to lead worship here, do you have to be like perfect? No. But we have to know you, see your gift in operation, and go, wow, that person's got a gift. They could probably lead our body in worship. So we'd ask, if you're going to prophesy here at Radiant, that you be known. The best place to be in order to get known is probably one of these home groups. And the best place to operate in your gift is in one of these smaller contexts. When Paul writes the Corinthian church, hear me out. Because a lot of times I don't think we really understand what was going on in Corinth. And we paint all this with kind of a brush of idealism. When Paul spoke to the church in Corinth and said to them, When you come together, each of you needs to have a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He was talking to a church of probably less than 50 people that met in a home. That's easy to pull off. Especially in the cultural context. Church probably wasn't an hour and a half, I'm guessing. As the church continues to grow, and as we continue to not know more and more of you, we'd ask that you'd get connected in a home group or a growth group and develop your gifting, and not only develop your gifting, but get to know the people here in the church so that we can speak into your life and bring guidance and correction. So if someone's here... um, Anyways, I can't go into that. Sorry. Diversity within unity. Paul goes on to confront. We're almost done, I promise. Paul goes on to confront not just concerns about the gifts, but an attitude regarding the gifts. He's trying to correct an attitude where people seem to just be tolerating the other gifts. They don't celebrate the other gifts. And that goes on here in this church. We tolerate each other and we think that real spirituality would be uniformity. If everybody in the church were like me, well then the church would be succeeding. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body... where. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? 
church, as we close, stop, stop wishing for uniformity and start blessing diversity. Stop thinking that true spirituality is found in uniformity. We, if we bless diversity in this body, the body will be healthy. If we, de- if we demand conformity, the body will be a monstrosity. Stop and start blessing diversity here in the church. Man, I don't worship like that guy, but I bless that guy. Man, I don't speak in tongues. I don't, I don't have that gift, but they do. Bless that gift. Those of you who are more demonstrative, start blessing the people who don't worship like you do. I bless that guy who I think is actually not worshiping because he's sitting. I bet he has a walk with you. I bless him in that walk. Just because he doesn't worship like I do doesn't mean that he's not worshiping. I bless his walk with God. I bless the diversity in this body. If we're going to have a healthy body, we have to bless diversity. If we want a monstrosity, then we'll call for conformity. Everyone needs to be like this. Everyone needs to have this gift. Paul ends by saying, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Is everyone going to have the gift of healings? No. Will all speak in tongues according to Paul? No. God gives it to some and not to others according to Paul. Romans 12 says that each one of us has been given different gifts. Paul is not arguing against tongues here in these chapters, but he's putting tongues in the bigger context, which is that it is one of many gifts given to the body. If you're here and you do not speak in tongues, you're welcome here. We don't think that you're JV. We don't. Should you eagerly desire to speak in tongues? Yes. Am I letting you off the hook? No. But am I going to sit on you until you speak in tongues? No. I believe that tongues is a sign that you have been filled with the Spirit, but it is not the sign that you have been filled with the Spirit. In closing, I'd like you to consider this morning what makes us one. We have all had a common experience of salvation. We've all experienced the Spirit of God as it marks the beginning of Christian life. We've all experienced the Spirit of God when it makes us a child of God. We've all experienced the Spirit of God which uh, distinguishes us as Christians. And I just want to echo Paul's prayer and, and say, Would the Spirit of God dwell in you richly? And may you today be filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you grab hands with someone you're sitting next to and we're going to pray? I'd invite you, if you've never prayed, to pray with me. Actually, pray aloud, speak aloud. God, I bless the people sitting next to me. I bless the gifts that you've put in them. I bless the way you've designed them. I ask that you would use them in my life to make me more like you, Jesus. We ask that you would unite our church And do signs and wonders in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city.
Divide.